we are recording yes okay awesome so hi miles welcome um this is uh moon hub's founders hour although i'm not sure we've actually hit an hour on any of our recordings yet <laughs> but welcome to the podcast this is a podcast where we speak about or we speak to incredible founders who have you know uh, founded incredible things um and essentially get you know a bit of insight into their journey as well as you know different things they've learned along the way and uh, essentially yeah helping uh, helping others get a bit more of an insight into the journey uh, of somebody who's founded something so without further ado welcome thank you for having me Tammy it's good to be here good to good to have you on so um you know the majority of people who have uh, hear this episode uh, will know who you are but for the few that may not uh, who are you i think most won't actually, um, which is the, the perils of making of making video games. So um, my name's Miles Jacobson, and I'm the studio director of Sports Interactive, who are the studio behind the Football Manager series of games. Um, but I've done a few other things as well, which hopefully we'll, uh, we'll talk about um, in the next hour. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I mean, that was one of the next questions. It was, what have you founded? Um, because, you know, I know that you've, you know, it's in terms of founding or maybe using the term loosely, you've taken something from something somewhere where it was small and grown it to something monumental. You know, can you tell us a bit more about Sports Interactive? Yes, I, I, I wasn't the founder of Sports Interactive. Um, so Sports Interactive were founded by two brothers, Ovin Paul Collier, um, who they grew up living on a farm in Shropshire. Um, they haven't discovered girls, so they made computer games instead. Um, and they did this when they were when they were teenagers. They made their first game, which was originally called European Champions. They sent it to some software publishers and um, ended up getting a deal uh, from a company called IDOS, who changed the name to Championship Manager and then registered the IP themselves rather than the brothers having it. So that's a good lesson for anyone who signs with, uh, does any kind of distribution deal or um, or on the game side of things, signs a publishing deal, um, make sure that you retain your own IP because that, that became a very big problem for us for a long time. Um, I met Ovin Paul uh, when I was working in the music industry. Um, I was, uh, Basically, I started working when I was 15 and or just before my 15th birthday, I got a job um, flipping burgers like a lot of people do. Um, and actually a lot of entrepreneurs do. A lot of people start off working on, on the shop floor or working in a burger place because they just want to get out there and, and get a job and learn. And I learned a lot from there. Um, I also got learned how to get made redundant. Um, the, the chain I was working for got bought, bought by Burger King. We all got laid off. I went and spent my redundancy in a record shop and half an hour later they offered me a job because um, I was buying lots of records that they didn't know or like but were popular. Um, so I swapped, swapped out burgers for, uh, for records. And um, from there, I... Uh, Again, you, you learn things and the entrepreneur comes out and I learned that by being at a small independent chart return record shop um, in the in the late in the late 80s um, that all the sales reps 
would be uh, would be very nice to us because we were a chart return record shop. Every record that we sold went towards the top 40 at a time when Spotify wasn't around, Apple Music wasn't around. It was all based on CD sales, single sales, cassette single sales. Um, so I used to get given lots of tickets to go to gigs um, and the bands that I wanted to see were small up and coming bands, not the big bands. And when I was there and, you know, they'd give me some kind of pass that made me look important, um, I would use that to my advantage and I'd try to go backstage and would turn around to the band and go, hey, can I interview you? I want to be a music journalist, can I interview you? Ended up interviewing loads and loads of bands from the, the late 80s, early 90s before they broke through and published them myself in a little fanzine that I would sell outside gigs. It's the days before the internet had taken off. There were no blogs and people were finding out about these bands through my fanzine, which I would then um, double up and sell t-shirts for bands in return for being able to sell my fanzine from the t-shirt stall. Um, and through that, I met a lot of people in the industry um, was selling t-shirts of quite a few bands that went on to be successful ended up being a talent scout for polydor records without me even knowing it they'd just call me and go hey have you got any tip offs on bands that we should be going watching um ended up with a job in the music industry all very very organic working at a label called food records um which had a band called jesus jones who were very successful at the time and this little up-and-coming band called blur um who had quite a lot of success and whilst i was there jesus jones wanted a video game made they wanted to have jesus jones the video game and i liked playing games and and again when you get an entry level job like that you're earning no money um i could i was eating pasta with ketchup most nights so it hasn't it hasn't gone out of fashion <laughs> for a special treat if i'd had a good month i got heinz ketchup rather than sainsbury's so um, and I was a big computer game fan, so uh, I would swap tickets for gigs, uh, for tickets for gigs for games, basically, um, and was trying to get the Jesus Jones games made. And some people that I was talking to on that wanted to go and see Blur, sorted them out a couple of tickets. They sorted me out a beta test of a game called Championship Manager 2. Um, and I was sending faxes through because again, internet, <laughs> there wasn't email yet, or proper email yet. I was sending faxes through to these two brothers called Ob and Paul with bug reports on the beta. And one day, one of them called me up and went, we haven't got a clue why you've got our game or how you've got our game, but we really like the feedback you're giving us. Can we meet up? Unbeknownst to me, somebody at IDOS had been saying, hey, this guy knows his stuff. You should be working with him. So I ended up, um, we called it managing in the old music industry sense of managing the band, ended up managing of and Paul. They didn't want to be dealing with anything to do with their publisher. They just wanted to be making games. Um, so I took care of all of that and, um, and protected them for, from it. Um, and over the years, it just got busier and busier and busier. And um, they would just concentrate on making games and I was concentrating on running the business and we went from you 
down a, a handful of us to to 15 and then 20 and the games had started being more and more successful and um, started putting together the plan of how to own our IP again and the only way to do that was to to leave and sign with Sega but that, that was a long time in and for the first eight years I carried on working music at Food Records then moved to Polygram Island uh, Publishing. We got bought by Universal, carried on working for Universal for a bit, then set up a company with um, with a guy called Gary Blackburn, who was managing Fatboy Slim, who was one of my artists, and was doing some stuff uh, regarding game video game soundtracks with them. And it just got too busy with, with SI. You know, I was, I was essentially doing two or three full-time jobs. Um, it got really busy so so i went full time um and that was the point that i started getting paid i didn't take, i didn't take any salary out for the first eight years that i was doing it because i had another job that was paying me and we were putting all the money back into the business to build it and build it and build it and build it um and that was the best decision i ever made doing that you know what an incredible journey that is because uh, one thing that's quite interesting and one of the questions I, I, I like asking is, you know, the plan then versus now, because anybody listening in will think, well, OK, hang on from burgers to <laughs> to, you know, studio director of, of Sports Interactive. You know, you've gone through, you know, so many different things, including, you know, a, a, a career in the music industry. And, you know, when you, of course, were starting out, it seems to be that, you know, as you followed what you wanted to do and what you enjoyed to do, you know, things started coming your way and, you know, of course you were working incredibly hard, but the opportunities then started lining themselves up. Would you say you had a, a solid plan to get to where you were now? Or do you think it was something that, you know, along the way you found out more and more about what you liked and as the opportunities came in, you know, which ones were right and which ones were wrong and you, you kind of went with that kind of um, outlook? So at 17, I thought I was going to be a pop star. Um, at 16, I had, when I first got, got my job, I had no plan at all. I, I went to get a job because my sister had just got into university and single parent upbringing, there wasn't a lot of money around. It was, I don't have to get pocket money anymore. So, you know, my sister's going to uni. He was really, really proud of her. Um, <clears throat> and no, I, I didn't have a plan. I didn't, I didn't really want to go to university. I knew that. Um, I hated education. Um, I went to a pretty good school, but I was there because of music um, and uh, both playing and singing music. Um, and I knew that I wasn't going to do anything conventional because whenever anyone told me what to do, I would do the opposite. So, um, so no, I, I didn't have a plan. And I've actually, I've never sat there and said, this is my five-year plan. I've only applied for two jobs in my life, and one of those was at the Burger Place. Um, the other one I didn't get an interview, which I still think is quite funny for a record label that doesn't, a record label that doesn't exist anymore. Um, uh, and I've always just... I'm, I'm a workaholic. Um, I've always just worked hard, but I've always been lucky to do things that I enjoy and and even now I still love what I do now you know we were bought by Sega back in 2006 I think it was so we struggled for years to get our IP back went fully independent 
and then three years in sold uh sold the business but um but i've always wanted to carry on running it after that point we run it as though it's our business and as long as we're making money for sega shareholders they're they're pretty happy with that we've got that freedom and that's that's fantastic but even now with some of the businesses that i work with whether it be investments or, or just helping out in some way i do it with companies that i'm passionate about or passionate about the people that are running them rather than doing it to make money um i've done all right out of what, what i've done um in in life i'm very very happy with my lot i've made a hell of a lot more money for other people than i've made for myself but i think that's that's the same for most people out there but i've never been money motivated and that that's always helped really with not having the plan um it gives you a lot more freedom if you've if you've got this rigid plan in your head that this is what i need to do for the next five years and then i'm out and then i'm going to do this and then i'm going to be out you miss out on so many opportunities whereas i've i've just had so much fun doing it and um you know sports interact sports interactive now we're a 200 plus people business um with researchers all over the world as well we're part of the football world as well as being um as well as being part of the video game world and it was all done by um making the right decisions at the right time and when you're making wrong decisions not beating yourself up over them learn from them move on leave all your baggage at the door and um, and just go out there and talk to people. I don't, I don't even call it networking. Sorry, I know I'm on a bit of a monologue, Danny. Um, but it, it's, um, you know, I don't go out to networking dues. I don't specifically go out to network. I just meet people along the way and talk to them. And if I like them, I carry on talking to them. I, I never really liked the idea of a networking um, a networking event or all these things. I know it's kind of controversial for a startup founder to say that, but I always feel like the best relationships are those that are organic, you know, the ones that there are actually common interests there and, you know, you do actually want to, uh, you know, to be, have a relationship with that person. Um, and I really liked one thing you said there where if you take money out of the equation, if you're not motivated by money, if, if you don't get pushed by money, you have a lot more fun because you actually then start to focus on things you enjoy. Um, and, you know, I, I agree with you. I think you get a lot more fulfillment out of things that way, especially if you start something that you, you want to do yourself. I think that really is important. And I, th I think, you know, we, we met we met a few months ago for the first time and um, I instantly felt a bit of a bond there when we met because I could tell straight away that you were a startup that were doing a business because you were passionate about the business, not doing it to get an exit in three years time. And for me, those are always the best businesses. Don't get me wrong. There are some fantastic businesses out there that are set up by people to make money who just want to exit and get out of it. I understand that. I, I fully understand capitalism and where it comes from and, and the people who are driven by that. But the passion that I saw from you and your fellow founders um, when I met them as well, you can't, you can't make that up. It's, 
it's real um and it's it's why i'm watching your journey so intently um because you believe so strongly in what you're doing um and even when we're, when we're talking about stuff and you're bouncing ideas off me if i say something that you disagree with you just tell me no i disagree with it because this is why we're doing things and that that's a really important a really important skill um to to have as an entrepreneur is to stick to your guns because it's your business your reason that the business is where it is listen to other people take on board take on what uh, take on board what they say but you always have to make those final decisions yourself um until you until you get to about 120 people then then you have to start letting people manage their own departments and and I'm still learning and that's something that I didn't learn well um it it we um I sorted out a management structure probably two years too late um for doing that and we're still having growing pains because we carried on growing whilst having this management structure um so I was too too determined to to carry on being old school for too long <laughs> exactly i was going to say yeah never never dwell or, or regret the mistakes you you learn from them and and thank you as well for the kind words um you know and likewise we definitely felt a strong connection with you um and i think you know when you it goes back to what you were saying you know when you're motivated by something you know because of course Moonhub, you know, we turned five years old in august which is really exciting um and and when you when you start something because there's passion behind it you know no matter how you get there you'll enjoy the journey for the most part because you're getting closer to actualizing a dream that you've you've had for a while and that for you know what i like to say to a lot of people is the main reason why you should be doing something because the end result will last relatively fleetingly to the actual journey itself so if you don't enjoy the journey um i always think there's not really much payoff uh, in toiling away at something you hate uh only for you know a payoff at the end if you're starting your own thing of course and you know speaking of because you know when you were talking about uh, again you know following what makes you happy you know there was you know not really a, a five-year set plan which is of course i think kind of similar to, to myself in a sense but regardless of things that you could plan for what was something that you couldn't plan for like something that happened that you just couldn't have planned for in the in the journey um oh, wow changing changing your brand from something that was known in many many countries and incredibly popular in many many countries and giving up that brand whilst retaining the team retaining the game retaining the community um there was some planning that went on there but there was also a lot of uh, flying by the seat of our pants that went on and um that was certainly the most interesting year of my life and and when when we try and explain it to people because people you know not everyone knows the games industry that well um when george michael took sony to court to try and get out of his record deal it was the equivalent of sony retaining the name george michael and him having to go off and make new records under a different name um, it was it was you know a really really big step for us to do um but we had thought it was going to happen so we'd taken on a pr company 
a few years before. We were the first games developer to take on a PAR company to get our name out there. And we built the community ourselves. And this is in the mid 90s, right? Which made it a lot easier for us. And um, as part of our divorce settlement, um, we had it written into the contract that we could put from the creators of the Championship Manager series in 10 point aerial text on an A4 advert. We went and did, is it 64 sheet flyboards um, on the sides of motorways? When you're doing them at that, the text becomes really, really big, right? So it was little things like that that we did um, that worked very well. Um, we certainly didn't plan to be selling the business three years into the new relationship with, with Sega. But what we'd done is we set up the deal with Sega so that we owned everything. Um, and we did a five-year deal for all studio output. And after three years, they kind of realized that in two years' time, they could lose us and they didn't want to lose us. Um, so we'd, we'd set up a share scheme for everyone who worked at the studio um, and literally on it, it was kind of the anniversary of when those shares were all vesting was was the time that um, that we accepted accepted the offer um, and there were no big conversations about the offer I was taken out for dinner uh, to a very nice Indian restaurant um, for, for a for a posh curry and it was brought up over dinner and it was the archetypal they wrote down a number on a napkin um, and I turned around and said I'm not even taking that to Ovin Paul who were the majority of the child to the business you'd have to double it for us to even consider it and the next morning we got a fax through with just the number written down and they doubled the offer um, and then a discussion happened from there so that that was very that was very unplanned um but the, the growth a lot of it sorry Tammy, but a, a lot of our growth i'm thinking i'm thinking of other things that have been unplanned a lot of our growth was actually unplanned as well we just needed to bring people in to be able to make the features that we wanted to and we ended up going from 35 people which is where we were when we got bought to 100 people really quickly and then ran out of office space the, you know, we, we'd planned to be in the same office for, for at least five years. We ran out of office space after three years, um, just as the pandemic was starting. Um, the pandemic was also something that we didn't plan. <laughs> um, and that, that massively affected our business. Um, we hired, we've hired so far 50 people during the pandemic. Um, we've got another 20 odds job ads out there at the moment, um, including one which is speculative because we're always looking for great talent and, and finding um, finding people from, uh, from parallel industries or other industries who want to make a shift that we believe will add value to what we do. Um, but making games is hard. Making games during a pandemic is even harder. And we shipped three weeks later than we were originally planning um, when most people shipped six months later. And it was certainly painful. It was painful for me. I, I knew at the time that it was painful for some people. 
I found out afterwards that it was really painful for some other people. And we've had to, um, well, we haven't had to, but we have put in a lot more uh, process and checks and balances so that it's a lot easier moving forward. Um, but we also did, we also did a lot of very, very good things during the pandemic. Um, I, I think it was about a week into it, we just turned around and went, right, we're giving the game away for free. We're just letting everyone play the game for free. Um, because we believed that the, or I believed that the, the biggest thing that was going to suffer during the pandemic was people's mental health. So let's give them something that takes their mind off it a little bit. Um, we also gave up a large proportion of our in-game advertising to mental health charities around the world and served over 100 million adverts for mental health charities so that people were one click away from being able to get help. Um, and and all you know everything that we did during during that stage this was stuff that was literally coming up someone would bring something up and we go yep just do it just do it um and it was kind of a revenue be damned moment um but like most games companies you know we we had a good year everything's very much calmed down to normal to normal uh now on, on that side of things, but um, but a lot of games companies had a good year and it was a case of um, looking on how to capitalise on the fact that we were having on a good year, having a good year by doing the right things, not necessarily doing things for profit. Um, so we, we've always thought on our feet and, and you have to when you're running a business, Any, anything can change. You could get a phone call tonight from, from a new client that could turn around and say, we want this, we need it in a month, and it needs to be on this platform. You, you're right. And, you know, it's, it's. I mean, those are, you know, some, some unplanned things, and it sounds like you've adapted very, very well. And you're right, pivoting and thinking in your feet is so important. And, you know, I really like that point around the growth piece, because, you know, from where you started to where you are now, of course, there are certain things you couldn't foresee, such as the pandemic. But I really like that point to touch on it. The, the importance and significance of a game you know like football manager um sorry like football manager where you know there will be people in the pandemic who will be using it as a serious you know way of keeping their mental health in a in a good place and of course when you were first starting out you know if somebody was to you know chuck you 15 odd years into the future and say that look this is this is going to be this significant to so many people you'd have been like wow but looking at yourself say, you know, back in 2006, you know, having experienced everything you have now, I mean, I know in, on Twitter, you're very engaged with a lot of your followers and, you know, you have a very big community, a very strong community as well. You know, what advice would you give Miles back then, you know, that would either better prepare Miles for now or that you would, because I know you say don't dwell on mistakes or dwell on the past, but if you were to give Miles back then any advice to prepare him for where he is now, what would it be? Um, well, before that 2006 point, um, I was I was honoured to be um, to be nominated and, and a finalist for um, Entrepreneur of the Year, um, the, the Ernst & Young one. And I was asked then, what advice would you give a younger version of yourself and I said at the time get married because you won't have any time um when when you get successful that was really bad advice right that's 
that's not something that uh, that you should be you should be worried about. Um, I think there's there's a few things in there. Um, one, don't let your ego get carried away. Everyone has an ego, right? Um, there have been points when mine has got carried away, and it just takes one of my mates from Watford to give me a slap and then, uh, from from back in the day, and then then that calms me down again. I think I'm much better at controlling it now than than I was for a few years. Um, and one thing that I've always done is kind of gone with the flow. So so that that's always been the case. Um, but probably um, I wish I'd known my limitations better. Um, and weirdly, because I, I don't read, I don't read a lot. Um, I wish I'd read a few business books about business growth. Um, because it's so obvious some of the things that we came above that when we went above a certain size, we couldn't just have a flat management structure anymore. Um, and it went, it, our flat structure went on for so long that I was essentially doing nine jobs. And I've managed to get that down to four now. Um, but giving some of those up has been harder than it should have been. And it's been harder for the people who've come in to do those roles as well. Because when you're used to doing something yourself, giving it up is pretty hard. So planning that side of things and the succession planning side of things, um, I wish that I thought about that a lot, a lot earlier than I did. Um, or accepted that it was needed because I did have people telling me that it was needed. The way that you learned that it was needed means that it's probably, well, I mean, it had to happen that way and then also really impactful as well. Um, and I've only got a couple more questions uh, to, to hold you, Miles. But um, I, I'd say the next one is, out of everything in the journey, what was one moment that you just kind of, you were just there thinking to yourself, wow. Like just, just the wow moment where you kind of were thrown back to literally where you li just first started and you were stood sort of in place thinking, how have I ended up here? And not in a way that says, not in a way of confusion, but more in a way of how, like this journey, I couldn't write it. This is just a wow moment. I'm really, really lucky in that this happens to me quite a lot. Um, my, my life is completely and utterly bonkers. So, uh, I'll, I'll give, I'll give you a recent example and it's not the first time that it happened, but it's still a wow moment. Um, as, as we're talking today, the Euro championship is going on and the French team, um, always have camera crews following them around, uh, wherever, wherever they go, including on planes. And they filmed Antoine Griezmann playing football manager on his laptop turning around to, to one of his teammates, I think it was Mbappe, saying, hey, I've just signed you at Newcastle. And he replies, and he replies but it's cold there. Um, and it's the fact that the game that I've worked on, you know, my, my life's work essentially is, is the game, right? The fact that that has become such a part of football culture that 
that's just seen as a normal thing for French TV to broadcast. And it's a normal thing. Like we, we don't pay Antoine. Um, we never have done. He gets the game a couple of weeks before most people, as do two and a half thousand other footballers who are people that have spoken about the game or have reached out to us over the years. Um, we don't talk about them publicly because we don't have commercial deals with them, but they go out there and talk about it. So, so that's a wow moment. Um, and I, I've had lots of them with him alone. Um, I've had lots of them with, with other French players and um, being asked being asked by people if they can have their photo taken with me. And I'm, I'm just like, but it's going to break the lens on your camera. Why would you want to do that? Um, those kinds of things are always weird. Um, the, the first time it happened was, um, or the first time that I really remember it happening in that kind of way was when, when we released the first football manager and HMV, um, Oxford Circus, which was their huge store at the time, um, at a time where bricks and mortar was so important, had demoed every single copy of Football Manager with "You know it's Champo" written on it, which is what which is what Chapman. The support that we had from the industry, from the press, um, uh, at that time was absolutely incredible. Um, but then, you know, being nominated for, for Entrepreneur of the Year in the same category as Karen Millen with Michael Acton-Smith was nominated for Young Entrepreneur of the Year in the same year that I was in, got to know him. That was when he was still doing Firebox and just starting out on Moshi Monsters. Um, you know, that's bonkers. Being asked by various governments to, uh, to be on committees, to recently with with the with the pandemic to try and help get film tv music and games production back up and running um getting the letter when i got told i'd got an obe which and that that was a strange few hours um i, I was getting ready to go to watford for a game of football to to watch watford um, and i was running a little bit late and went and got the post and that letter was there and uh went out into the garden for what I thought was 20 seconds just to gather my thoughts and completely missed the game of football. Um, so that, that was pretty bonkers. Um, and then the most recent one just this weekend, and I, tw uh, I tweeted about this, um, that our game has become such a part of football culture that the BBC are using our font on their Euro broadcast because it's now instantly recognisable to football fans. Um, that, but there are so many of these that happen all the time and it's it's literally something that I, I can get a phone call from someone and then you know having a dead serious phone call with a um, with an owner of a Premier League club and then you get off the phone and you just go okay that's ridiculous yeah. I'm, I'm I'm so, I'm so lucky. Um, but the, the music industry actually helped me with a lot of them. Because, during, you know, I was a kid when I was working in the music industry. And, you know, I, I was working with one of the biggest bands 
certainly one of the biggest bands in the UK in, in Blur and one of the biggest bands in Japan with Shampoo and you've got all these crazy things going on and the people that you bump into and they're just normal people. Your journey really shows the potential of following what makes you happy and just just doing it for the love of it. You'll attract not only good things but great people as well and memories that, I mean, can't be forgotten if if not if not uh time skewing a bit i mean that garden story is incredible i'd say that's definitely up there with the wow moments um just getting lost in, in the realization yeah there, there, there are a couple of years when i was working very closely with fatboy slim that i don't re really remember um so so they some of the stories do get um do get forgotten there was one um there's one that I remembered recently that Fatboy Slim supporting the Beastie Boys in Paris and it was in the rounds and I was in the photo in the photo pit before because Fatboy Slim was supporting trying to get the crowd going a little bit and we had a really good night and got very very drunk and then ended up back in the hotel that we were staying in and uh, a band called Texas were staying in the same hotel and Charlene Spiteri, who was the singer from Texas, just got on the piano and started play, basically doing an acoustic gig in the bar in a Paris hotel that I'm in with Fatboy Slim and I think one of the Beastie Boys was there as well. And there's me, a, excuse my language, but a little shit from Watford in that situation, just going, what has my life become? You know, it's really, really weird. Out of body experience, thinking this is actually real, real life. This is actually happening. Um, and these are, I, for me, I think, and I, I think you agree by saying all these things is these are the moments that kind of really impact and make the entire journey worth it. Because as you said, you know, not being money motivated allows you to have that freedom of saying, well, now that I don't have that limitation, what do I enjoy? What do I want to do? You know, any, I can do anything. And I think that's what you know, helps get people out of bed in the morning and, you know, helps them go out another day, even if it doesn't seem like the path forward is super clear. Um, and from all the inspiring stories you've said, it definitely seems that, you know, when you take away limitations that, you know, not just money, but other things and putting a ceiling on yourself, I think once those limitations are removed, the journey not only becomes incredibly exciting, but uh, also seemingly limitless as well. It, I think it's a lot easier for people who've grown up with little, it, it's a it's a really weird thing. Like if you're used to a certain lifestyle and you're getting into business, you want that lifestyle to continue. Whereas if you grow up with very little, anything that you have above very little is great. Um, and then you get to a stage when you've got a lot and you're thinking, well, yeah, I've got a lot, but I could still have very little and still still be happy. So you both enjoy it more in some ways, but don't enjoy it as much in in others. You know, one, thank you so much for coming on. I have a final question. So for anybody listening who may be thinking about starting their own thing, no matter how big or small, what is the one piece of advice? I think I have an idea as to what it will be, but what is the one piece of advice you would tell them if they're just thinking about, like I, they've been thinking about doing it for a long time, you know, what is your one piece of advice for them? Um, to start your own business, you have to be completely and utterly self-motivated. So if you've been thinking about it for a long time and you haven't done it yet, something's wrong. And you need to work out what that thing is that's wrong and fix that first. Um, 
but the most important piece of advice that I can give anyone ever is don't have any regrets. Life's too short to have regrets. Um, you're going to get things right. You're going to get things wrong. Everyone gets things wrong. No one is perfect. Just accept that. And when you get something wrong, hold your hands up to getting it wrong and move on as quickly as you can. Don't dwell on it. Um, so I think that that's, that's a really important thing. I think, I think you can't distill it into one piece of advice on what you should do. I think it's, it's nigh and impossible. But enjoy the journey. Um, set your expectations as low as you possibly can because then everything's success, right? Um, and do things in life that you're passionate about. We, we, make, we make our computer game, we make Football Manager for all the people out there who hate their jobs to give them something to escape to in the evening. There are a lot of people out there who, who are in that situation um, for loads of different reasons. Some of them it's because they, um, they work to live rather than the other way around. What drives them is being able to go on their holiday each summer with their mates, or um, they love their kids so much that they just want to provide for their kids and don't care about themselves. Um, and the vast majority of people out there are, are like that. If you can find a job that you love, you never work a day again um it feels you just feel fulfilled right and yeah i think even though even though you said it was difficult to get it kind of concise i think you've done a really good job uh doing that and miles i just want to say thank you so much for coming onto the podcast no problem Danny. thanks for having me